This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. An old journal has been revived at Harvard University. The Harvard Salient, a journal of opinion with a conservative slant, was originally launched in 1981, but it has not been published on the campus for many years. About a year ago, last November, uh, it was revived and thousands of copies are circulating among students and faculty on the campus. What's more, its return has captured national attention at a time when many are wondering whether elite university campuses have become exclusive playgrounds for progressives and left-wingers. The journal does not attempt to define conservatism and essays contain a broad range of views, including a variety of slants on the best way to respond to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. But there's little doubt that the salient espouses a perspective that broadens the discourse at Harvard University. So I'm very pleased to have with me on the Education Exchange today one of the editors, William Brown. He is a junior at Harvard, and he is among those who have brought the salient back to life. So thank you, William, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Oh, thank you for having me on. Well, William, uh, how many issues have appeared since you launched uh, a year ago? So far, we've had eight issues. Uh, generally speaking, we publish about three per semester. Um, we just put out our largest issue to date at 40 pages. I believe there were something like uh, 18 articles. Is that the December issue? That's correct, the December issue. Yeah, I think I have a copy of that issue. I'll probably get to it eventually here. So who, uh, what kinds of people are contributing to the journal? Where are you getting your uh, essays and your commentaries from? Sure. So it's primarily Harvard undergraduates. We do accept um, uh, anonymous contributions from other uh, Harvard-associated uh, graduate students and so on. Uh, but it's, uh, in large part, the team is composed of undergraduates. Well, you know, that makes sense. You've got uh, a group of editors that uh, can work together and uh, broadening out your uh, correspondence is, is not a bad idea. So, But a lot of the articles are signed by pseudonyms. So why are you uh, using pseudonyms? What's the uh, rationale for that? Sure. So the primary obstacle that the salient confronts is the strong student perception. Uh, and for whatever reason uh, it exists, it, it does exist, that um, it's disadvantageous to put out controversial viewpoints uh, on a campus like Harvard's. Generally speaking, students are afraid about their their future careers, the relationships they have with their um, with their fellow students, and so especially when we got started, uh, because there had been no conservative newspaper on campus uh, for some time, uh, at least several years, uh, students really didn't know what the the reaction would be if they put their name on a, a piece, uh, even with mildly uh, controversial opinions. And so as a result of this, in order to get the, the paper started, in order to bring enough writers together uh, to get it rolling, it was practically um, indispensable to give writers an option to use uh, pseudonyms. We're now um, including both pseudonymous pieces and named pieces. The last issue had, I believe, eight uh, named pieces. But the editors are aware of who the contributors are. That's correct, yes. So in a sense, you are able to uh you know, make sure that you're getting contributions from people who uh, who are, you know, uh, appropriate. Um, so um, 
how do you think that's going to evolve? Do you think that as you go forward, are you finding that actually the fears that students had are a little bit maybe overblown and actually there's more widespread acceptance of conservative thinking than you might have anticipated? Or is it is that hostile climate nonetheless still evident? I'd say reception has been polite. Uh, there are a lot of uh, moderate I would say moderate liberals or centrists on campus who uh, at some level realize that, you know, it's it's healthy to have at least one conservative or at least opposition uh, paper on campus. It makes it makes life more interesting in a way. And so it uh, in that that's one service, I guess we we render to the campus climate. And so I don't you know, the, the mobs didn't come to our doors with pitchforks. I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. Uh, and I think that uh, going forward, we're, we're, we're hoping to continue to demonstrate that you can have um, real discussions uh, and even uh, controversial discussions uh, without being struck by lightning and to include more uh, students in those discussions by demonstrating that it can be done. Well, that's that's uh, that's encouraging. Uh, so what would you say are some of the major themes that uh, are coming up as topics you want to cover or you have covered, what would you say are your most important issues and topics that you've addressed thus far? Well, I would say that the best way to uh, promote free speech in an environment like Harvard uh, is not always to publish a lot of articles saying that free speech should be allowed because actually the opinion that there should be free speech is not, an, is not a, uh, is not really a controversial opinion. It's the opinions that one is saying should be allowed that are controversial. So what happens is that um, there, there may be a lot of people who feel that there, you know, there should be free speech and there may even be a lot of people who have uh, controversial opinions, but the people who have the, the actual motivation to come out and express those opinions, to take a stand, even when they're undergraduates on something that matters to them, uh, are by and large religious conservatives because they have the kind of the, the moral urge um, to speak out on, on what they view as, uh, let's say, injustices in, in their society. And so that basic fact underlies a lot of the issues that the salient addresses. Now, those are in large part cult cultural and social issues. Um, as you know, the, the first issue this semester uh, focused primarily on abortion, but in general, uh, a preoccupation uh, with the, the kinds of issues that matter to religious conservatives is something that's typical of the salient, uh, salient's work so far. Well, I read your issue on, on mothers and motherhood and uh, feminism, and uh, I found a lot of interesting contributions there. Uh, Many of them talk about women and they sort of suggest that women should rejoice in becoming mothers, not suppress that desire. Uh, but how about men? I didn't see as much said about men. What, what has the, have you read any, sent, uh, published any commentaries on the role of men in the society that conservatives can imagine as being the desirable society for the future? Uh, sure. So, for instance, at the end of that issue, there was one article called The Man Problem. And this is something that has since become basically a trope uh, 
far beyond uh, Harvard media. It's in, in the national media. People are talking about what's what's wrong with men. And um, I don't know if you if you read this one, but uh, basically, it's talking about uh, the the concept of toxic masculinity and what that means for sort of boys who are growing up in a, in a, in a world where it's clear that, you know, men are the problem, uh, and to a, to a large degree, of course, you know, men, men are the problem. There are so many issues where you, you can, you can easily say, well, look, if there's someone to blame here, it's, it's men. And what, if, what effect that does that have on people? Um, I would say that, uh, our team, so for instance, in the, in the last issue, uh, we had four named contributions, uh, from women writers. So we do try to have, when addressing these topics, uh, a balanced pool of people so that we can um, sort of talk about them effectively, talk about them with knowledge uh, as, as well as um, with conviction. I actually uh, liked one of the essays in particular, and that was the one that really talked about uh, the original suffragists, uh, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton, and their opinions about abortion and uh, how contemporary writers tend to uh, ignore that or pay little attention to that or actually deny it. Uh, I thought it was particularly well-researched. Uh, so is that the kind of thing that uh, you mean there when you say uh, you're getting some good contributions? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we that particular article uh, was meant to reveal what's you know what's since been covered up in the partisan political debates of our time, which is that there's this big sort of feminist, not necessarily pro-life, but certainly abortion skeptical uh, tradition, and um, that has kind of been forgotten as uh, feminism has been absorbed into the establishment, has been absorbed by the 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 corporate world, um, for which. Uh, many of our writers would agree, motherhood can be an inconvenience. And so the, the perspectives of people like Stanton and Anthony, who at the very least had much more, uh, much more skepticism towards what abortion meant for women than is currently the case among, you know, the, in, in most pro-choice rhetoric, uh, that has kind of been forgotten. So the point was to bring that out into the fore, show people what's, uh, what's been covered over. You know, actually, uh, if you think about it, that early movement was advanced a lot by the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Temperance was a huge theme, which uh, you don't hear much about from the feminists today. Uh, are you going to do a piece on that? On temperance? Well, we do have some teetotalers on the team, so I'll see whether, whether I can convince them to address it. Because uh, women really played a huge role in that. Whether or not that was all for the good or not, we could debate, but uh, it certainly was... Uh, a huge contribution or, or not of the feminist uh, movement uh, of the 19th century. Um, so um, now in your December issue, you wrote, uh, you had a lot of articles on the future of nationalism and a lot ended up talking about the war in the Ukraine. And I saw quite a diversity of opinion there that to me highlighted the fact that there is no one conservative view that you're expressing there. Would you agree with that? I'd, I'd agree, absolutely. One can look through the pages of the salient for um, a dominant viewpoint, a sort of overarching consensus. 
Um, but it's not, it's not really there. I think one of the great things about our work is that writers really have freedom to address the topics they want to address uh, in the way that they want to address them. Well, but then I was a little concerned that actually one of those articles, I've forgotten which one, uh, sort of seemed to be arguing that we should be cautious uh, in the Ukraine, not put uh, Putin under too much pressure. He might, you know, do something we don't want him to do. And so therefore we should treat him with, uh, with, with gloves. Uh, that's about the position of the Biden administration, isn't it? Is this, is this a conservative point of view or is it not? Um, well, I would say that uh, that particular article was trying to adopt a, a realist approach uh, to the war, to to view things in terms of national interest and to to think about um, how the United States can get to a post-war settlement that will be advantageous uh, for it. Uh, so I don't, um, you know, if that if that makes it conservative, um, you know, that's one thing. Uh, but the, ultimately, it, it was what the, the writer believed. And that was, you know, we don't, um, you know, not everything has to be uh, a fire-breathing conservative uh, perspective when it, when it appears in the film. Or maybe Biden's become a conservative. Is that a possibility? Oh, quite, quite possible. We, we would welcome it. Uh, maybe he should write an article for us. Yeah, you could ask for a contribution from him. That might get us some attention out there. Um, so uh, what are your plans going forward? Are a lot of the articles now are sort of short uh, opinion pieces. Uh, some of them are more extended, but uh, a lot of them are, are you know, uh, more, uh, uh, you know, you op-ed like. Are you thinking of uh, having more research pieces, more um, pieces that really go into things in 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 depth, or 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 do you like this uh, format that you have now? Well, I think. Um... Definitely the salient benefits from a balance of opinion pieces and um, to a degree reporting, but also reporting with commentary and uh, research on things that are happening in Harvard and, and also on, uh, on history, such as the, the article you mentioned from um, the, the issue on womanhood uh, or motherhood rather. And so um, I think we're going to try for a balance. I do agree that uh, the ones that go into more depth about particular topics that present new information, especially about things that occur on Harvard are, are some of the most, um, provide some of the most interesting content. But uh, generally speaking, we want to provide, we want to allow our writers to uh, to say what they want to say. And so we're going to continue have, to have a mix of op-eds and- uh, Another way you could go is to create more departments or more uh, you know, components so that you'd have, you know, one part would be more blog posty like and another part would be more extended articles i don't know if you thought about that is that in your in your thinking uh, well we think about it all the time um we'll see whether any of our uh, schemes come into fruition in that sphere yeah and then the other thing i at first thought i'd be able to get a copy of the journal online but i wasn't able to is that my fault or are you not putting articles up online yet uh, the salient currently does not have an online presence, although we're working on it. Uh, what I'll say is that door-to-door um, -door distribution has been uh, critical for um, uh, for establishing the paper at, as a, a household name, let's say, at Harvard. Uh, the usual 
format for a Harvard newspaper today is basically to have an online presence and then occasionally to put issues, maybe once a week, as the Crimson does, in dining halls. But that um, format basically means that name recognition uh, is everything for a publication because you know people will go online to find the Crimson, they'll look at the Lampoon when it comes out, the Independent when it comes out uh, in their dining halls. But unless one distributes door to door, there's really no way for new magazines to get discovered. So I think we've been focusing very much on our printed content, uh, but we're also going to expand to uh, uh, online content in the near future. So now, are you actually successful in getting that door-to-door distribution, especially to faculty? Do, does it really get, uh, um, you say that it's going to every member of the faculty, it's going to every student, but is it really, uh, you have problems with the distribution process? Well, we try our best. Um, I would say that it's probable that it doesn't get to absolutely everyone on campus, at least not every time. Uh, but certainly that's our, our aspiration, at least there. And how about the uh, email? There's lots of graduate students. Uh, there's probably a lot of conservative graduate students uh, and law school students and, uh, you know, in the other professional schools. So it, you plan to bring in those voices or do you want to keep it, it something that is a, a product of college? Well, I think the core will always remain undergraduates. Um, undergraduates have uh, substantially, they, they have more uh, freedom to express their opinions, uh, generally speaking, or at least they perceive more freedom than graduate students do. Uh, but of course, we welcome contributions from uh, from Harvard graduate students. So to, to move forward, it's going to take a lot of uh, resources. and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the wider community who would welcome uh, the revival of a paper such as yours. Do you, you feel like you're going to have the resources to be able to uh, expand in some of these directions that you've been talking about? Yep, I'm, I'm confident that we'll be able to. Um, I, I, I can't, you know, speak to that too much, but uh, uh, since, you know, who, who knows what will happen uh, in a year when the, the leadership uh, turns over, but uh, I, I certainly believe that we can, that we'll be able to uh, move forward effectively. Now, isn't that one of the fundamental problems that you face is that, you know, undergraduates come and go. How do you sustain something over mm-hmm. the long run when uh, people's lives are changing so rapidly at this uh, point? Uh, well, uh, in, in large part, it's, it's just about finding the right people uh, in the new classes that come in. Uh, but it's uh, we also have an element of stability provided by our uh, the the many uh, alumni who worked on the salient in the past, and we're grateful for their support. And we also uh, work with uh, faculty at Harvard, and um, in that sense, there are there's a a supra undergraduate element um, that helps to ensure continuity, or at least we hope it will help to. Are you continuity. accepting contributions from alums? Uh, yes, if people want to, um, if people want to donate, there's a, uh, there's a place to do so on our website. And of course we appreciate, um, all such. All right. So that's money, but how about, mm-hmm. uh, how about essays? Are you, or are you wanting to keep it to the students at Harvard? I think we, we could allow, uh, essays by alumni in special cases, but, uh, primarily we want to keep it focused on, uh, on Harvard undergraduate voices because we 
we feel that that's what the publication really offers to people. And generally speaking, you know, the uh, adults out in the out in the world, they can find if they have something to say, right? They they generally speaking don't need us to help them say it. All right. So, um, how about other colleges? Can you imagine yourself being an Ivy League publication or something of that sort? Uh, uh, certainly. Um, I mean, we'd welcome that. Generally speaking, the other Ivy Leagues uh, already have their conservative public publications. There's the Dartmouth Review. There's uh, at Columbia. There's one just that's just starting up now. Uh, I think it's called the Knickerbocker, and uh, but. Certainly, I would say that um, we are we're not opposed to uh, or to other branches and different universities. All right. Well, what have I missed? Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners about this new publication that is uh, getting some attention in major outlets in the in the country? Uh, what what else would you like to tell us about? Well, all I'll say is that going forward, we're hoping that we can continue to demonstrate the, the possibility of uh, civil discourse at Harvard, that students can share their opinions without uh, fear of reprisal. Uh, we're going to want to contribute to a productive political controversy on campus and to, to revive a platform for people to exchange their viewpoints on, on really the most important political questions of our day. Those should be discussed at Harvard, and we're hoping to make that possible. Well, are you having an impact? I mean, uh, you know, in the end, what we want is an op. We want diversity on the on the campus. We want diversity at Harvard. We want to have a, a a place where any opinion can be expressed and freely exchanged, and people will take it seriously and respond in kind. So, do you feel like you're making progress in that direction? I would say so. First, simply by demonstrating that a newspaper like ours can still exist at Harvard. Uh, it's growing. As I said, um, our last issue was the largest to date. So there's uh, there are clear, there's clearly a pool of students who want to express uh, their opinions. And I would say that um, going forward, we also want to help organize uh, more formal debates uh, on campus to contribute to the kind of intellectual intellectual exchange that uh, for which Harvard, we think, should be famous. Is it being read? Uh, well, it's always hard to say. It's certainly being delivered. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, of course, some some people are always going to throw it away and some people will ignore it. But in the process, you know, on the way from doorstep to garbage can, I do think that people are going to, you know, take the opportunity to look over the at least the table of contents, see what interests them. It's kind of a campus event when it comes out. People like to um, to talk about it online, uh, sometimes complain about it online, uh, but that, that's that's inevitable. I think um, I think it's really uh, established itself. Uh, it's become a um, a piece of the furniture at Harvard, so to speak. Well, uh, thank you very much, William, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I've enjoyed uh, learning about the arrival on the Harvard campus of a new conservative-oriented journal. Uh, the Harvard Salian. Thank you, Professor. Glad to be here. I've been speaking with William Brown, an editor of the Harvard Salient and a junior at Harvard uh, College. The journal has received increasing uh, national attention 
I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.